Call NCRS today at 919-832-5138 or visit our website at ncreadingservice.org and click the Donate Now button. Thank you. Welcome to Down East Radio Reading Service. Today is Wednesday, March 13th. The content of the following broadcast is intended for the blind and the print-impaired. I'm Peter Sauerwein, and with me is Debbie Haggerty. For the next half hour, we'll be reading local news and information from the Rocky Mount Telegram. Man who overcame homelessness tells his story at Forum by William F. West, staff writer, with a photo by William F. West showing Thomas Brinkley speaking Thursday during a recent Rocky Mount Police Department-organized forum about homelessness. Brinkley shared his personal story about being homeless and how a local shelter helped him get his life back on track. A recent forum about homelessness organized by the Rocky Mount Police Department featured a man telling his story of being homeless, trapped in a life of crime, imprisoned, and addicted to crack cocaine. Thomas Brinkley also told the gathering Thursday night at the Booker T. Theater that he was once shot five times at point-blank range. Brinkley describes himself as a gentle giant who got married and whose life has come full circle. I have a heart, a tender heart, Brinkley told the gathering. Everything I've learned, I've learned it on my own, he also said. Brinkley said that he is proud to say he's part of United Community Ministries, which has a community shelter off McDonald Street downtown. Brinkley said that he works full-time on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at the shelter, which provides a which provides support services to help get people into permanent housing. Brinkley also said he works part-time as a cook and as a su- support staffer at the Bassett Center on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. The Bassett Center, which is off Branch Street in the southeast Rocky Mount area, provides a transitional housing program for homeless families with children in the Twin Counties. Being a product of the foster care system, Brinkley noted Thursday being abused in one foster resident were among the many challenges he faced as a youth, which also included the lack of a male figure in his life. He said that by the time he was in his teens, he was getting into trouble and a couple of times he was caught shoplifting. He also said that even though he participated in the police department's police explorer program for young people, he ended up quitting because his mother did not have the money to purchase him a uniform. And he told the gathering of the downward trend in his life leading him to getting kicked out of school and being convicted of having committed felony offenses. Specifically, Brinkley recalled coming home from prison at age 18 with nothing but a prison-issued bag, his prison-issued identification, no driver's license, 
no high school diploma, and no job skills. Brinkley returned home to live with his mother, who gave him a week to find a job. Brinkley told the gathering of walking from the residence, which was in the northwestern part of the city, along Sunset Avenue all the way out to the Little Eastenburg area on the west side of the city in search of employment. When he returned home, Brinkley said his mother turned him away because she thought he was running around on the streets. Brinkley described his drug addiction and of experiencing relapse after relapse after relapse. He also told the gathering about staying in shelters in Washington, D.C., and in Raleigh, and in transitional houses. He said the United Community Ministries Community Shelter has been a blessing and that being placed in the Bassett Center helped him get his life back on track. After a couple of months, Brinkley moved into a fully furnished residence. That part of his story drew cheers and applause from the audience. Police Chief Robert Hassel said that the forum was held to help the police department, as well as the public, understand what services are out there for individuals and families who may be experiencing homelessness. The forum included a question-and-answer session with a panel of community leaders and resource vendors. City seeks input from the public on land use plan process to take a year and a half by William F. West. The city, in an effort to update the municipality's more than 20-year-old comprehensive land use plan, has launched a video to help get the word out and receive feedback from residents. The video, which is on the city's website and on City TV 19's YouTube channel, is titled Imagine With Us. The video shows people in scenes in a variety of places in Rocky Mount with a series of different voices saying, Close your eyes and imagine a city where every brick tells a story and every corner holds the promise of opportunity. The voices in the video speak of picturing a community where its legacy is cemented in unity and perseverance knowing every idea has the potential to change the world. Envision a place where diversity is celebrated, the possibilities are endless, and the future is bright, the voices on the video said. Now, open your eyes, for that place isn't a dream, it's Rocky Mount, and together we can make it a place for everyone. The posting of the video which went live Monday morning, calls for viewers to let their voices be heard and to learn mo more by going online and clicking on rockymountnc.gov slash comp plan, C-O-M-P-P-L-A-N. State law specifies that a land use plan is intended to guide a coordinated, efficient, an orderly development within a planning and development regulations jurisdiction based on an analysis of present and future needs. Since 2003, the city has been using the Together Tomorrow Tier 1 Smart Growth Comprehensive Plan 
as a tool to guide the growth of Rocky Mount. It's now time for a new vision and to determine as a community how to move forward. City Development Services Director Emile Pinkston said in an interview at her office Friday afternoon. Pinkston said that the goal is to have a document called Imagine Rocky Mount to serve as the successor to the 2003 Comprehensive Plan and as a blueprint for the city's future as far out as 2050. The process of putting the proposed 2050 comprehensive plan together is going to take about a year and a half, Pinkston noted, with the local planning board to make the recommendation to the city council for adoption. Local church celebrates 19th anniversary. Word Tabernacle Church, located at 821 Word Plaza in Rocky Mount, will celebrate its 19th anniversary with worship services scheduled for Sunday through Tuesday. Distinguished guest pastors for the celebratory services include Bishop Paul S. Morton, Sr., Pastor John K. Jenkins, and Pastor Smokey Norfolk. Rocky Mount native mixes social media, vinyl, and classic rock. Northern Nash alum gives followers taste of nostalgia by Anita Mum, special to the Telegram. It's no secret that bands from the 1970s and 80s are getting a little gray. Fittingly, the hottest social media creators talking about those bands are a little gray, too. Enter Rocky Mountain native Randy Wheelis, 63, creator of the 45 of the day, who pushes out content daily to around 40,000 followers on channels such as Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. Wheelis is pretty old school crafting one-minute history lessons on 70s and 80s music while showcasing an extensive collection of seven-inch singles from the era with well-preserved picture sleeves. Gen X and baby boomers don't spend all day on social media. Yet, 73% of people over 50 have a social media account, Wheeler said, it's a growing but tough audience looking for well-crafted information, not silly tricks trying to beat the algorithm and score a million views. Wheelis is pleased that a number of his videos have reached 100,000 views and more. To him, it's all about the content. People want to know interesting tidbits, he said. It's a celebration about all genres of music from that era. It's not some clickbait channel. People can see through that. A recent post was about the band Scandal, who made a low-budget video because they were signed by a big label. The then-unknown guitarist playing with them in the video, John Bon Jovi. Most people thought I made that up. 
Luckily, the video is still on YouTube, he said. People love finding out something they didn't know. The 45 of the day also taps into the recent revival of vinyl records. Wheelis continues to be an avid record shopper, saying most of his 7-inch records were bought for a dollar or less. I still surf the record stores, he said. I continue to find some gems. Wheelis says he started with a pretty good collection, but some artists have been a challenge to find. The Cure, Ramones, and Guns and Roses can be difficult to come across. Prince is another artist that takes some searching. Wheelis says he rarely buys online. Every store is like a mini treasure hunt, he says. Most stores focus on albums, so finding a great 45 might take getting on the floor and digging through boxes of records. The thrill is in the hunt. <coughs> a typical 45 of the day video is about a minute long. Wheelis adds captions to reach a more diverse audience. He wears a different t-shirt daily, from Tears for Fears to Whitney Houston. Normally, a typical video will have plenty of comments from followers from all over the world. As for money, Wheelis says he averages about $100 a month from the social media sites. I will not retire on this, he jokes, but I love the worldwide feedback I get about the many genres of music during that era. There seems to be a lot of people out there who have the same passion for music as I have. Wheelis attended Northern Nash High School, he was the Telegram sports editor from 1982 to 1985 and currently lives in Charlotte with his wife, Anita Mum. Anita Mum lives in Charlotte and has written for various newspapers in North Carolina over the past 30 years, including a stint at the Telegram from 1985 to 87. From the Home and Garden page of the Weekend Rocky Mount Telegram. Muscadine grapes make wonderful jams, pies, juices, and wines. By Matthew Stevens. You can't travel far in northeastern North Carolina without passing a home with muscadine grapes growing in the backyard. Many of those vines we see have been growing for decades, and the care of them has been passed down from one family member to the next, or, perhaps, gone forgotten. Muscadine grapes are native to North Carolina and the southeastern United States. The first cultivated variety of muscadine was a bronze selection discovered in Tyrell County in 1760 and named Scuppernong. And now, Debbie Haggerty will continue reading from the Rocky Mount Telegram. Thank you, Peter. Um, today we just have one obituary. Um, is James <coughs> Lewis Leggett from Spring Hope. James Lewis Leggett of Spring Hope, North Carolina, passed away at home March 10th, 2024. Born into a Christian home to Jimmy and Ruby Leggett on August 26, 1943, in Bertie County, James was their first and only son. He attended school in Bertie County, graduating from Bertie High School, where he excelled in basketball. James was helping his father farm at a very young age, but he pursued a career with Carolina Telephone Company until he was drafted into the Army in 1966. 
He served his country in Vietnam, achieving the rank of Spec 5. After his military service, he returned to the telephone company, and over the years, he rose in rank from lineman to outside plant manager. He left Carolina in 1980 to work for the telephone contractor Southern Bell in Raleigh, North Carolina. In 2000, he joined the staff Summit Engineering as a highway inspector and continued with Summit until his retirement in 2007. Known affectionately as Papa Leggett to all who knew him, James was an avid UNC basketball fan. He was an everyday presence at Leggett Farms for many years, assisting his son and daughter-in-law in whatever capacity where he was needed, and always with a drink or a snack for anyone in need. He ate lunch almost every day at Highway 55 in Nashville, where he met many of his friends. His ready smile and sweet nature made everyone he came in contact with happy to see him. He was a loving husband, father, grandfather, brother, and friend. James was preceded in death by his infant son, Michael Douglas, and his infant grandson, Evan Michael Davis. James leaves to cherish his memory his beloved wife of 31 years, Peggy Leggett, his daughter, Jamie Davis, and her partner, Roland Allen of Farmville, his son, Brent Leggett, and wife, Susan of Nashville, his sister, Shirley Manning of Lewiston, his son by marriage, Alex of Wilmington, the mother of his children, Kay Leggett of Nashville, and his grandchildren, Bailey Davis, Colin Leggett, and Carter Leggett, and all of the employees of Leggett Farms who loved him like a papa. James has requested a military service to be held at Cornerstone Funeral Home in Nashville on Saturday, March the 16th at 2 o'clock with a visitation with family and friends to follow. In lieu of flowers, the family requests donations be made to the Mission Outreach Program at First Baptist Church, where he is a member. Cornerstone Funeral Home is honored to be caring for the Leggett family, and words of comfort may be shared at the Cornerstone Funeral Home website. Now we'll move on to sports, our local sports. Faith Christian Softball Rolls Past Lee Christian Faith Christian School Softball Team scored all of its runs in the first and second innings on its way to an easy victory over Lee Christian on Friday in the Patriot Invitational at home. The Patriots, 3-0, finished with 14 hits, led by Peyton Whitley, Elizabeth Jackson, and Catherine Keeter. Adding one hit each were Lizzie Camp, Abby Van, Abby Bradley, Tanya Lee, Kate Camp, and Emma Kate Davis. Jackson allowed no hits nor runs in three innings and finished with six strikeouts and just one walk. Bun 8, Northern Nash 7. The Knights seemingly had the game in hand with the 7-2 lead in the top of the seventh inning, but the Wildcats amassed six runs in the bottom of the frame to make a Big East 2A-3A conference victory at home on Friday night. Leading Northern Nash at the plate with one hit each were Piper Jones, Emily Clay, Emma Hunt, Macy Sides, Emma Shingleton, Kaylee Burden, and Carly Wilson. 
Clay led Northern Nash on the base pass with three stolen bases, while Burden added two and Jordan Harvin had one. Hunt, 15, Rocky Mount, 1. Rocky Mount struggled at the plate and in the field as the Griffons suffered a non-conference loss to Hunt on Friday night in Wilson. Bria Washington had a hit and scored the lone run for Rocky Mount. Emily Tinklepaul and Jocelyn Ramey had the other hits for the Griffons. In soccer, Lady Birds split. Southern Nash's girls soccer team split a pair of matches in the annual Brittany Showcase in Wilson over the weekend. The Lady Birds lost to Richlands 4-0 on Friday, but came back to shut out South Central on Saturday. Northern Nash 3, John Paul II 1. Northern Nash picked up a non-conference win over John Paul II Catholic on day two of the Brittany Soccer Showcase in Wilson. Striking back, the softball roundup. Griffons start strong but fade against Wilson Hunt. Rocky Mount softball team started strong but faded over time as the Griffons suffered a 20 to 4 non-conference loss in five innings at home against Wilson Hunt on Monday night. Rocky Mount kept the Warriors off the scoreboard in the first inning with catches from outfielders Jada Bernard and Caitlin Anderson and then scored twice in its half of the frame to take a 2 and 0 lead. Hunt eventually figured out Rocky Mount pitcher Rayanne Hatu and finished with 15 hits while taking advantage of eight errors by the Griffon's defense. The Warriors tied it with two runs in the top of the second, added five more in the third, nine in the fourth, and four in the top of the fifth. Rocky Mount completed its scoring with two runs in the bottom of the third inning. Bria Washington and Bernard each had two hits and a run scored. Southern Nash 6, run at Rapids 1. The Southern Nash softball team picked up a big East 2A, 3A conference win on the road by defeating Roanoke Rapids 6-1 to on Monday in Roanoke Rapids. Carly Beecham broke a scoreless tie in the top of the fourth inning with a sacrifice fly that scored Kaylee Love to give the Lady Birds a 1-0 and lead. Freshman Noel Dobbins increased the lead to 3-0 and with a two-run home run two batters later. Southern added two runs in the fifth on RBI singles by Beckham and Kelsey Jones. Southwest Edgecombe 7, Nash Central 5. Southwest Edgecombe jumped out to a 4-0 lead in the first inning and held off a comeback by Nash Central to win Monday's non-conference game at NCHS. The Cougars led 7-3 and weathered a two-run rally by the Bulldogs in the bottom of the seventh inning. Mackenzie Rogers led Southwest Edgecombe with three hits and two runs scored while Imali Bynum added two hits and an RBI. McKinley Mobley had a hit and a three RBI and Mackenzie Moore and Kayla Hodge provided one hit each. Northeast Carolina Prep, 20. Southeast Halifax, 0. Northeast Carolina Prep enjoyed three big innings and eased past Southeast Halifax in a non-conference game on the road on Monday.
Some more sports for you today. Big East Awards. Northern Nash's Mallory is the player of the year. Northern Nash is Ethel Mallory II earned Boys Player of the Year, while Henry Drake of the Knights garnered Boys Coach of the Year in the 2023-24 basketball season for the Big East 2A-3A Conference. Mallory enjoyed a fine season for the Knights as he averaged more than 17 points, five rebounds, and two assists per game while making more than 65 three-pointers and shooting 77% from the free-throw line. Drake helped Northern Nash to an 11-1 record in the league and the conference regular season and tournament championships. The Knights, after a 6-7 start, won 15 straight games before being ousted in the third round of the state 3A playoffs by Westover by just three points, finishing 21-8 overall. Northern Nash averaged 66 points per game on offense, while the defense allowed 57 points per contest. One more um, mention of sports, and then we'll go to the grocery ads. Rocky Mount Netters fall to Bunn for the first time. For the first time, Bunn's boys' tennis team has picked up a victory over Rocky Mount. The Wildcats won five of six singles matches to seal the Big East 2A-3A conference triumph at home on Monday. Stone Ramey earned the lone win for the Griffons as he won at number one singles over Jersane Avajo, 6-3-6-4. Bunn won the remaining matches. Adrian Almond gomez rallied past Noah Seal. Noah Reed over Juan Guevara, Alex Goodman over Jacoby Thompson, Tucker Mitchell over Leonard Pasquata, and Daniel Scoggins over Keith Little Jr. at number six. With the match already decided in singles, the doubles matches were not contested. Baseball, Northeast Carolina Prep, 23, Southeast Halifax, 5. Northeast Carolina Prep erupted for 12 runs in the top of the seventh inning to pull away and defeat Southeast Halifax in a non-conference game on the road on Monday night. Soccer, Southwest Edgecombe 3, Tarboro 0. Southeast Edgecombe girls soccer team picked up a non-conference win at home over Tarboro on Monday. Emma League and Crystal Sanchez had goals for the Cougars. Southwest Edgecombe finished with 25 shots on goal as Lee led the way with seven. Rena Petaway earned the win in the goal for the Cougars as she made three saves on three shots. Navai Miller allowed three goals for Tarboro but made 12 saves in the loss. So now we can go on to a few grocery ads for you today from the Harris Teeter. Because St. Patrick's Day is coming up on Sunday. If you haven't gotten your corned beef brisket, it's on sale at Harris Teeter for $4.99 a pound. Um, you can pair that with cabbage, which is also on sale in honor of St. Patrick for $0.99 cents a pound. 
not going to plan your menu for you, but they have a lot of Harris Teeter um, buy one, get one free things this week. One is blackberries, buy one, get one free, avocados, um, lemons, a three-pound bag or a three-pound bag of navel oranges, buy one, get one free, your General Mills uh, cereals, Lucky Charms for St. Patrick's, buy one, get one free, Hormel Bacon, buy one, get one free. All-natural Harris Teeter ice cream, buy one, get one free. Cheez-Its, buy one, get one free. Green Mountain K-Cup coffee or Harris Teeter bag coffees, buy one, get one free. Frito-Lay party size chips, two for $9. Um, Harris Teeter almond milk, two dollars $2 for $5, Peter Pan peanut butter. That's a pretty good deal, I think. Um, if you want to venture out into the country, you can go to Smith's Red and White, where they also um, have their corned beef on sale for five ninety nine a pound. Bananas forty nine cents a pound. Um, Pepsi products for for twelve dollars. Their cabbage is um, only thirty nine cents a pound out at Smith's, and the onions to go with it ninety nine cents a pound. The potatoes to cook your Irish potatoes, one ninety nine a pound. So I think we've got St. Patrick's menu covered. And we were closed by saying the Rocky Mount Telegram is broadcast daily, Monday through Saturday at noon and at 7 p.m. To listen live over the Internet or download today's broadcast, please visit our website at downeastreading.org slash listen. If you have comments or suggestions, please call our studios at 252-443-7551. Have a great day. Welcome to Down East Radio Reading Service. Today is Wednesday, March 13th. The content of the following broadcast is intended for the blind and the print-impaired. I'm Peter Sauerwein, and with me is Debbie Haggerty. For the next half hour, we'll be reading from the Wilson Times. Beddingfield teachers raise funds by hiding Easter eggs by Olivia Neely. With a photo by Olivia Neely for the Wilson Times showing Beddingfield avid students fill plastic Easter eggs with candy for the upcoming Egg My Yard fundraiser Friday, March 29th. If you'd have an Easter egg hunt in your backyard, Beddingfield High School teachers can help. The school is holding an Egg My Yard fundraiser on Good Friday to benefit their students. Money raised will be used to support incentives for students who demonstrate growth for their end-of-course tests. It's going to help the school as a whole because all of that money we're raising will go toward our growth incentive trips we're doing this year, said Kimberly Howard, Beddingfield English teacher and multi-classroom leader. Howard, an organizer for the fundraiser, said teachers will go to set up an Easter egg hunt on Friday, March 29th, for anyone who lives within a 30-minute driving radius from Beddingfield. Howard said the egg hunt is great for your own kids, your neighbor's kids, or family member's kids. 
The eggs will be filled with candy, which has been provided by Beddingfield High School's AVID, advanced via individual determination, students, as part of a public service project. Prices for the egg hunts are $25 for 30 eggs, $35 for 40 eggs, $40 for 50 eggs, and $50 for 70 eggs. Howard said she hopes the entire community will join in and purchase an egg hunt at their home. Howard said if you don't have small children and want to bless another family, you can do that too. Howard said the teachers will arrange a time that best suits you and your family. She said they will let you know when they're coming to set up and alert you when they're finished hiding the eggs. We will make sure it's a time convenient for what they need. Howard said if they want a flashlight egg hunt, we can make that happen too. If you're interested, contact Beddingfield High School at 252-399-7880 or email her at Kimberly.Howard at WilsonSchoolsNC.net. All proceeds go toward incentive trips for students taking their EOCs. This year alone, students have gone to the NC State Fair and CAPS Entertainment for free as part of the incentive. This fundraiser will help with a cookout being held at Wedgwood Golf Course. Howard said these initiatives help students stay motivated. As long as you're growing, you're going, she said about incentive trips for students. Howard said she did an Egg My Yard fundraiser for Fike High School several years ago and was a success. Beddingfield Social Studies teacher Amber Glover has already signed up to have an egg hunt in her backyard for her own family. I thought it was a great way to give back to the school because it's going back to the students, she said. The money is going to help cover their field trips for this incentive for EOCs. She has twins who are two years old and a five-year-old at the Beddingfield Daycare. It's a tradition that my mom would always do an egg hunt, she said. My mom passed in October. So this was a way for us to continue her tradition. Avenue Gardens, featured at Museum's Art in Bloom, by Drew C. Wilson, with the photo by Drew C. Wilson for the Times, showing this display, prepared by Avenue Gardens florist and Wilson, is among those included in this year's Art in Bloom event at the North Carolina Museum of Art in Raleigh. For the third year in a row, a display of flowers from Avenue Gardens Florist and Wilson will be featured at the annual Art in Bloom exhibit at the North Carolina Museum of Art in Raleigh. Shop owner Robert Bryant and lead floral designer Cassandra Falkwell took the display to Raleigh Tuesday morning. The five-day exhibition, featuring floral designers from across the state and country, is from Wednesday through Sunday and is sold out. The fundraising festival is one of the most popular events at the museum. It is an honor to be asked to come back for a third year in a row, Falkwell said. The inspiration for the flower display was a Torah shield made by Ludwig Yehuda Wolpert and Chava Wolpert Richard. This year's arrangement included red ginger, 
blue delphinium, sunflowers, pussy willow, curly willow pink baby spray roses, white veronica, yellow yarrow, and green trick. My most favorite thing, which is very new to me being in the business 30 years, I don't know how these little guys got past me. They are called veggie roses. They look like little cabbage heads on a stick. When they come in and when they blow open, they are just the most unique, remarkable thing I've ever seen in my life. You wouldn't know it's a rose, Falkwell said. Falkwell said finding unique flower varieties to use is one of the challenges. That's one fun thing about doing this, Falkwell said, is you find different things trying to make your piece unique. Falkwell said that she and Bryant collaborated on the design, and she executed it. Art and Bloom is a fundraiser for the museum, located at 2110 Blue Ridge Road in Raleigh. Avenue Gardens Florist is located at 202 Park Avenue in Wilson. Earl Boykin Plaza, commemorated at ECU. From staff reports, Greenville, with a photo by way of ECU Athletics, showing family members of the late Earl Boykin stand before a marker designating an area of Clark LeClaire Stadium at East Carolina University as Earl Boykin Plaza. During a ceremony before ECU's game against Cal State Fullerton on Saturday in Greenville. Pictured are Boykin's sister, Vicki Foreman, his daughter, Sloan Brooks, granddaughters, Heath Brooks and Leslie Brooks, widow, Faye Boykin, and son-in-law, Howard Brooks. Earl Boykin, the Rock Ridge Phenom who slung East Carolina College to the 1961 NAIA Baseball Championship, still ECU's only team national title, will preside in perpetuity over the entrance to the Pirates' Clark LeClaire Stadium, now named Earl Boykin Plaza. A marker bearing a likeness of Boykin, who passed away in 2022, was unveiled during a special dedication ceremony Saturday, March 2nd, prior to the Pirates' home game against Cal State Fullerton. The inscription read, Dedicated on March 2nd, 2024, in memory of ECU alumnus and ECU baseball letter winner, Earl Country Boykin. Earl was the ultimate Pirate, volunteers time in numerous capacities for the Pirate Club and ECU Athletics. The success of the Pirate Club was important to Earl, and he had a unique ability to unite individuals for the greater good. The passion and loyalty Earl displayed as a player on the Pirates' 1961 baseball championship team continued throughout his life as he was always in attendance, rooting on the purple and gold. On hand for the dedication were Boykin's family, wife, Faye, daughter and son-in-law Sloan and Howard Brooks, and granddaughters Leslie and Heath Brooks, along with his sister Vicki Foreman, and a host of friends from Wilson and beyond.
And another photo from ECU Athletics shows Faye Boykin of Wilson looks at his looks at the marker designating an area by the entrance of Clark LeClaire Stadium at East Carolina University as Earl Boykin Plaza. After a late husband and former Pirates pitching standout during a ceremony before ECU's game against Cal State Fullerton on Saturday in Greenville. Once enslaved, fought for freedom by Drew C. Wilson. James Herman Jones smiled proudly as he sat in the back of the room wearing a replica of a Civil War era United States Army uniform. For Jones, the dark blue forage cap on his head, the leather cartridge box sling with a polished metal eagle breastplate slung across a dark blue coat, the powder blue pants, the oval U.S. belt buckle and the white gloves all hold special meaning. Some 159 years ago, Jones' great-grandfather, Jack Sherrod, wore an identical uniform as a member of the 135th United States Colored Troops when the unit was organized on March 27, 1865, in Goldsboro. The unit was led by General William T. Sherman. Descendants and other interested folks met at the Wilson County Public Library for a 135th USCT Research Team Incorporated program hosted by the Wilson County Genealogical Society on February 27th to learn about how African Americans joined the Union Army to help fight for their own freedom. My great-grandfather was instrumental in building the corduroy roads in the Civil War to transport the troops through these parts, said Jones, 76, who lives on Evansdale Road outside Wilson. Jack Sherrod was enslaved before he joined the 135th USCT. He was a man that wanted to make a better life for his family, Jones said. Sherrod used the money he earned to build a house on Watery Branch Church Road near the junction of Wilson, Green, and Wayne Counties, Jones said. We do have certificates that show that he did receive pensions, Jones said of Sherrod. When he came to Goldsboro, there were a select few black soldiers or black slaves that joined up with General Sherman's army in Goldsboro. Some 1,154 slaves or ex-slaves from eastern North Carolina, eastern North Carolina counties enlisted in Goldsboro. Science. Surprises in store. Scientists plan to find out how animals react during a total solar eclipse. By Christina Larson for the Associated Press, Washington, with an AP photo by L.M. Otero for the AP, captioned or showing Claire Wagner, three years old, feeds a giraffe at the Fort Worth Zoo on February 23rd in Fort Worth, Texas. During the last total solar eclipse in 2017, male giraffes at a South Carolina zoo began to gallop Researchers will be watching to see if the giraffes in Fort Worth show similar behavior during April's total eclipse. When a total solar eclipse transforms day into night, will tortoises start acting romantic? Will giraffes gallop? Will apes sing odd notes? 
Researchers will be standing by to observe how animals' routines at the Fort Worth Zoo in Texas are disrupted when skies dim on April 8th. They previously detected other strange animal behaviors in 2017 at a South Carolina zoo that was in the path of total darkness. To our astonishment, most of the animals did surprising things, said Adam Hearthstone-Rose, an NC State University researcher who led the observations published in the journal Animals. While there are many individual sightings of critters behaving bizarrely during historic eclipses, only in recent years have scientists started to rigorously study the altered behaviors of wild, domestic, and zoo animals. Seven years ago, Galapagos tortoises at the Riverbank Zoo in Columbia, South Carolina, that generally, quote, that generally do absolutely nothing all day, during the peak of the eclipse, they all started breeding, said Hearthstone Rose. The cause of the behavior is still unclear. A mated pair of siamangs, gibbons, that usually call to each other in the morning, sang unusual tones, or tunes, during the afternoon eclipse. A few male giraffes began to gallop in, quote, apparent anxiety, unquote. The flamingos huddled around their juveniles. Researchers say that many animals displayed behaviors connected with an early dusk. And now, Debbie Haggerty will continue reading from... Wilson Times. Thank you, Peter. I'll begin with the obituaries. Um, the first one is Elaine Blizzard. Elaine Edwards Blizzard, 82, of Wilson, passed away Thursday, March the 7th, surrounded by her family. A celebration of her life will be held at 2 p.m. today at Joyner's Funeral Home with the Reverend Rhonda Campbell and John Chick officiating. The family will receive friends following the service at Joyner's Funeral Home. Elaine is survived by her sons, Greg Nichols and wife Teresa, Mike Nichols and Dale Flowers, sisters Jenny Ross, Linda Mew and Robbie Mills, several nieces and nephews and her loving extended family to include Linda Taylor, Karen Creech and Kay Gibbons and many special friends. She was preceded in death by her husband, Bobby Blizzard, parents Robert and Mary Lee Edwards, sister Ann Strickland, and her brother Donnie Edwards. The family would like to express their gratitude and thanks to Hospice of Wilson, especially Allison Williams and Sheila Stone, for their kindness, care, and love. Flowers are welcome, or please consider memorials in her memory to Horns Church, West Horns Church Road in Wilson. Charlotte Powell, from Wilson. Charlotte Maxine Hunter Powell, 62, died Sunday, March the 2nd. Funeral services will be tomorrow, March the 14th, at 1 p.m. at Karen's Funeral Home, 726 South Tarbor Street in Wilson. Interment will be private. A public viewing will be Wednesday, March the 13th, that's today, from 3 to 6 p.m. at Karen's Funeral Home. And finally, William Budd from Wilson. William Mac Bosco Budd Best, 75, died Wednesday, March the 6th. Funeral service will be this coming Sunday, March the 17th, at 1 p.m. at Karen's Funeral Home in Wilson. 
Interment will follow in West Haven Cemetery in Wilson. A public viewing will be Saturday, March the 16th from 3 to 6 at Karen's Funeral Home. And now we'll move on to the sports for today. CB, let's see. Um, Little Raynell kick Lady Chargers past the Bruins. Wilson Christian's Bree Little looks to dribble around Beddingfield's KG Hill during a game Tuesday, March the 12th at Beddingfield. An early test for girls' soccer teams from host Beddingfield and Wilson Christian produced positive results for both sides on a spectacular late winter Tuesday afternoon, but only the Lady Chargers got the added bonus in the win column of the 6-3 outcome. Junior Bree Little knocked in four goals, while Maddie Rennell had the other two for the Lady Chargers, the reigning North Carolina Christian School Association 2A champion, as they won for the third time in four months. So far, head coach Jordan Struther likes what he sees from a group that returns 10 players. We've played better as a team than I saw all season last year, he said. We've just clicked together, and I think that has a lot to do with trust. You know, they're trusting one another to do what they're supposed to do and be in the right spot. And they've just been able to click a lot faster than they have in the past. That was evident Tuesday as Chris Wilson Christian kicked off 24 shots, and a fourth of those went in the gold. They just really played well together. They made those short passes clean. There was communication on the field because communication always helps because we scored most of our goals from outside the 18. So we were just able to get those open shots and just take what they gave us, and they just happened to go into the back of the net. CBA slips past Hunt 7-4 to start the Quad County play. There are 13 games remaining in the 3A Quad County Conference varsity baseball schedule for all eight teams. But Hunt High felt like one got away in a 7-4 loss to CBA Cock in Tuesday's league opener at Sid Boyette Field. The Warriors, 2-2 overall, overcame a 3-0 deficit with four runs in the bottom of the fifth inning. But the Golden Falcons scored four times in the top of the seventh and held on to beat Hunt in the first meeting for the third straight season. The teams will play again Friday at ACOC as the QCC schedule switches to home and home matchups each week this season. It's early, but it's a must-win, said Heads coach John Smith, whose Warriors finished second in the Quad County last season. We didn't get the bats going right. We walked nine batters. Some of that I give credit to CBA Cock. There were some tough at-bats and put some balls in play that caused some issues. Really, defensively, Hunt Sr. starting pitcher Nick Worrell left after two and one-third innings of work after giving up three unearned runs on one hit and four walks. Sophomore Trevor Moore worked one, two, th- and two, three shutout innings before handing the ball to freshman Stone Massey. The six foot four, two hundred pound right hander got through the sixth but ran into trouble in the seventh when Jonathan Winters and Wyatt Gardner reached safety. 
But consecutive walks and an error brought in two runs before CBA left fielder J.C. Poole singled in two runs, part of a three-RBI night for them. We came back, the Hunt coach said. We battled a little bit. We pitched out some jams. The catcher, Ryan Bass, threw two good runners out, picked one off third. Stone Massey came in and pitched well again. Smith added that there's also a lot of ways to win the game, but we found a way to lose. Sounds like he's a pretty good sport. Uh, Chargers, again, tough on betting field. The Wilson Christian Academy baseball team of the North Carolina Christian Schools Association, 2A East Region, ranks continue to be a tough out against the Beddingfield High squad with teeth gritting intent upon a program turnaround this season. Following a nasty twist to their pregame routine, the Chargers became nothing but tough by continuing their supremacy against the Bruins conference by a 14-3 margin on betting fields diamond on a gorgeous Tuesday afternoon. Head coach Ty Bissett was so irritated by William Wilson Christian's showing during infield practice that he instructed his players to put away their gloves and run laps. To see them settle down and play after I got on them, that was good, Bissett commented. Betting field coach Matt Balance masked the level of his disappointment after watching his Bruins limited to five innings because of the 10-run lead rule. The Chargers stretched their lead to the final margin with four runs in the top of the fifth inning. Hats off to Wilson Christian, Balance said. They are a tough out. I don't think they struck out twice. It doesn't matter what Ty has. His teams are going to be tough. The Chargers evened their record at 2-2, two and two, while Beddingfield dropped to 1-1. One, one. Wilson Christian snapped a 2-2 two, two tied with seven runs in the top of the third inning. We couldn't make plays, expressed Beddingfield senior shortstop Bryson Wagner, who collected two hits along with the senior catcher Christian Rays. We couldn't swing the bats and we couldn't throw strikes. We're better than this. We were in the game the first two innings. Then we fell off. Added balance. We have a good idea of what we've got. We have to attack the baseball and throw strikes. We can be a good team. It's going to be a shock when we show people how good we can be. Balance's statement will likely not be disputed. Spectators were left with no clue of betting Phil's quality potential Tuesday afternoon. Noted balance. We had 11 walks and two hit baseman. Wilson Christian banged out seven hits and the Bruins were guilty of two wild pitches and three pass balls. We gave them 17 free bases, balance contended. It's hard to beat anybody when you have 11 walks and give the other team 17 bases. It's not as much as 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 Wilson Christian won, but us beating ourselves. We are a little disappointed. The Chargers followed up last year's victory against Beddingfield. Bissett said he could not recollect his Wilson Christian team ever losing to the Bruins. Both teams started shakily with each plating two runs in the opening inning. However, Scott zipped through the second inning, as did starting Beddingfield sophomore left-hander Austin Jones.
Players, Coaches, Realists Competing at the Brittany by Craig Moyer. Fifty teams took the field on the opening day of the 2024 Brittany T. Willis Memorial Scholarship Soccer Showcase. The 25-game slate to open the event saw 24 games played at the J. Burt at Gillette Athletic Complex and one game at Greater Wilson Rotary Park. Whether it was the team's first time competing in the Brittany or they have competed in the showcase each of its 18 years, the sentiment among players and coaches was the same. Among the programs competing in the Brittany 23rd and taking to the field Friday were Community Christian School and Fike. Both the Cyclones head coach Carl Bradshaw and Golden Demons head coach Chris Mizell spoke on how happy they are to have their teams continue to participate year after year. Brittany was a great student athlete. My cousin Anna Godwin played on her high school team. It's just great to come back every year and honor her, Bradshaw said. Just this whole showcase to be here and take part. The speech they give at the beginning to the girls is very important. So I'm just glad the event continues to get put down. Despite an 8-1 loss to Rocky Mount Academy, Bradshaw was pleased his young team had the opportunity to compete. For fight, the first of its two games on the weekend saw its hold on for a 1-0 victory over first flight. The environment's amazing. It's obviously for a great cause in memory of Brittany, who was important to the soccer community here in Wilson. So I'm glad it's endured as long as it has, and I hope it continues. I was fortunate enough to play in this bat when they had boys, so I've been here for most of the 18, so far either as a player or a coach. Sounds like a great event. Um, we'll move on now to Harris Teeter and Food Line ads for this week. Um, both grocery stores are honoring St. Patrick and St. Patrick's Day. Don't forget a Sunday. Um, and they are both honoring them by having their corned beef on sale for the same price, only $4.99 a pound. Um, Food Line has all the trimmings to go with your St. Patrick's Day meal. They have $4.99 corned beef as well as $2.99 uh, bag of five pounds Irish potatoes. They have their cabbage on sale for 49 cents a pound. So there you go. It's all put together for you. Um, they also have center cut pork chops for $2.49 a pound. And their hot sale today is to, for $2.99, a three-pound bag of mandarin oranges. So that sounds pretty good. Um, also at Harris Teeter today, buy one, get one free. They have uh, pretzels, zaps, pretzels. They have their Pepsi products, three for $12. Um, and they have their, go along with the green theme, they have their avocados. Buy one, get one free. That's all we have time for today. Um, the Wilson Times is broadcast daily, Monday through Saturday, at 12.30 p.m. and 7.30 p.m. To listen live over the Internet or download today's broadcast, please visit our website at downeastreading.org slash listen. If you have comments or suggestions, please call our studios at 252-443-7551. Thank you and have a great day.
Welcome to Down East Radio Reading Service. Today is Wednesday, March 13th. The content of the following broadcast is intended for the blind and the print impaired. I'm Peter Sauerwein, and with me is Debbie Haggerty. For the next half hour, we'll be broadcasting news and information from Edgecombe County. Home Sweet Home. Five Points Crossing Apartments officially opens. By William F. West, staff writer for the Rocky Mount Telegram, with photos by William F. West showing. Delois Nettles stands in the bedroom of her new apartment at the Five Points Crossing development. And NC Office of Recovery and Resiliency Director Laura Hogshead, NC Housing Finance Agency Board Member Charles Mullen, and Mayor Sandy Robertson speak Monday during the official opening of the Five Points Crossing development in downtown Rocky Mount. Dolores Nettles on Monday afternoon was elated as she stood inside her residence in the new Five Points Crossing apartments off Tarboro Street. I just love it. I just love it. I just love it, Nettles, 75, said, not long after an official opening ceremony just outside the $9.5 million four-story, 50-unit building designed to be in a downtown urban setting. Nettles, for the first time Thursday night, got to sleep in her new home, which is a spacious two-bedroom apartment. Sometimes I don't really sleep that well at night, but that night I slept all night, Nettles said. Five Points Crossing Development was constructed to provide homes for residents who earn up to 60% of the area's median income. The development has 28 one-bedroom units and 22 two-bedroom units, with the monthly rent for a one-bedroom unit being $500 and the monthly rent for a two-bedroom unit being $564. The development was officially opened amid ongoing efforts to revitalize downtown and in a city where hurricanes such as Florence in 2018, Matthew in 2016, and Floyd in 1999 affected the housing stock locally. Near the end of the opening ceremony Monday afternoon, Nettles and another new Five Points Crossing resident, Dorothy Marshman, briefly addressed the gathering amid sunny skies and cool and breezy weather conditions. I'm so excited I can't even talk, Nettles said. Nettles is from Rocky Mount, but for more than a year she had been commuting to Nightdale and staying with her son, who is a truck driver. Nettles told the gathering that she is grateful that the Five Points Crossing development has allowed her to be back on her stomping grounds in the city. Marshman told the gathering of being nervous. But anyway, I love this. I love it, Marshman said. Marshman expressed appreciation to everyone who had something to do with her becoming a Five Points Crossing resident. Now I've got a home of my own, something that I can call my own, she said. Speakers at the opening ceremony included Clay Cooper, a vice president and director of development for Ohio-based Woda Cooper Companies, which is the city of Rocky Mount's development partner in the project. Cooper's father, David, is the president of the company. Of Five Points Crossing, Clay Cooper said that he believes the residents are going to make this place home. We provided the sticks and bricks, and people provided financing, but it's the stories that they'll make here. It's the memories they'll make, Clay Cooper said of the new residents having a new place to call home. An official groundbreaking ceremony occurred in June 2022 once at what was a vacant site just southeast of downtown's Five Points intersection and across Tarboro from Edgecombe Community College's Rocky Mount campus. 
The development received help from two main funding sources, the NC Housing Finance Agency and the NC Office of Recovery of Recovery and Resiliency. The NC Housing Finance Agency is a self-supporting public organization created in 1973 by the NC General Assembly and finances affordable housing opportunities for North Carolinians whose needs are not met by the market. The NC Office of Recovery and Resiliency manages programs statewide that include homeowner recovery, infrastructure, affordable housing, resiliency, strategic buyouts, and local government grants and loans. Laura Hogshead, who is the director of the Office of Recovery and Resiliency, spoke at the official opening ceremony of the Five Points Crossing Development Monday afternoon and told the attendees, You might wonder why the hurricane lady is here. Hogshead said that she and her team are dedicated to providing an opportunity for people affected by hurricanes to come back to the communities they love. Of the Five Points Crossing Development, Hogshead said, this is a project where you get to say, what if we said yes? Hogshead said that was a rallying cry for those involved in the project. A few years ago, a bunch of people said, what if we said yes? What if we took the brave step of making the first big multifamily affordable development downtown? What if we just said, let's make it work? And a bunch of people said yes. Hogshead said, Charles Mullen, a Rocky Mountain native and home builder, serves on the board of the Housing Finance Agency. Mullen made clear to the gathering that he is aware daily of the need for housing, housing from affordable housing on up the gamut, he noted. Mullen also pointed out that he and others have seen a decrease in housing stock locally all the way back to the aftermath of Hurricane Floyd. Overall, Mullen said, high-quality and affordable homes are the foundation of the strong communities, and we are proud to be part of this investment in Rocky Mount. Mayor Sandy Robertson told the gathering that the Five Points Crossing development is also hopefully going to be part of the City Council's vision to create 500 units downtown to help spark revitalization in the heart of Rocky Mount. Robertson also made clear that not only is there a need for affordable housing, but for housing in general. There's no such thing as too much affordable housing. There's no, mu- there's no such thing as too much workforce housing, Robertson said. County Commissioners Mull revalued property, staff reports, the Rocky Mount Telegram. While the setting of a new tax rate is still weeks away, members of the Edgecombe County Board of Commissioners got a rundown on the recently completed property revaluation from Tax Administrator Teresa Lewis at a board retreat Monday. Lewis' presentation came during the board's annual day-long retreat held at Edgecombe Community College's Center for Innovation. The county's total property value was estimated at $3.7 billion. Lewis told commissioners that a total of 31,440 parcels were checked during the revaluation process and that overall property values in the county increased 32.44%. That increase is substantially less than that of surrounding counties, where values increased more than 40% in Pitt County, 49.2% in Nash County, and 56.2% in Wilson County, Lewis noted. 
Lewis provided commissioners and administrative staff with data on the various segments of property, agricultural, commercial, industrial, and residential. Agricultural. A total of 5,105 panels were valued with a market value of $1,041,287. Wait a minute. Wow. One billion forty one million two hundred eighty seven thousand six hundred twenty five. Wow. After deducting the present use value assessment, the total taxable value is five hundred forty million ninety thousand five hundred and forty two dollars. That represents an average in- increase of twenty five point thirty five percent, while one point twenty nine percent of parcels stayed the same or decreased in value. Commercial total of 862 parcels were revalued with a market value of $280,516,757. The average increase was 34.16%, while 6% of the commercial parcels stayed the same or decreased in value. Industrial. A total of 222 parcels were revalued with a market value of $265,358,271, real value only. The average increase was 31.17%, while 7% stayed the same or decreased in value. Residential, a total of 22,263 parcels, were revalued with a market value of $2,138,702,103. The average increase was 38.16%, while 1.7% stayed the same or decreased in value. Public utilities. The utilities companies are assessed by the NC Department of Revenue and show a value of $263,235,440. Lewis noted that the county residents who disagree with an assessment can appeal the decision through a four-step appeal process, which includes, one, an informal review to discuss the property's value with a representative of the Edgecombe County Tax Department, Two, an appeal to the Board of Equalization Review if the review does not satisfy the resident's concern. Three, an appeal to the NC Property Tax Commission if the resident disputes the decision of the Board of Equalization and Review. And four, and finally, an appeal to the NC Court of Appeals if still unresolved. The last property assessment in Edgecombe County was in 2017. ECC holding job fair on March 15th. Edgecombe Community College will hold a job fair from 9 a.m. until 12 p.m. on Friday, March 15th in the Fleming Building on the Tarboro Campus. The job fair is free to current students, alumni, and members of the community. And Job candidates will have the opportunity to meet employers and be interviewed. Job candidates are advised to bring at least 50 resumes and address professionally. All majors are eligible to participate. Healthcare, law enforcement, business, finance, sales, accounting, construction, welding, manufacturing, fire protection, mechanics, government, and military. Man arrested after law enforcement finds social media threat against ENC school by News 12 staff with a photo from the Pitt County Sheriff's Office showing Jalen Tyson was charged with communicating a threat of mass violence on educational property after law enforcement found a threat against Farmville Central High School on social media. 
Farmville, Pitt County. A man was arrested after a threat was made against Farmville Central High School on March 4, 2024. After an investigation, law enforcement found that Jalen Tyson made the post on Instagram. On March 5th, an arrest warrant was taken out for communicating a threat of mass violence on educational property. Tyson was arrested, Tyson was arrested and jailed in the Pitt County Detention Center. Golden Seniors invite community to March 13th meeting. Golden Seniors invite community to March 13th meeting. That's today. Tarboro Edgecombe Golden Seniors are inviting members of the community to come here. Tarboro High School football coach Jeff Craddock speak at 9.30 a.m. Oops, it's already happening this morning on Wednesday at the E.L. Roberson Center, Senior Center. We're having a Bring a Friend membership drive. But if you don't know anyone in the club and would like to hear Coach Craddock, you're more than welcome to attend, said club president Bill Purvis. Non-members of the club have no obligation to join, but will be entered in a drawing to win door prizes. The Golden Seniors, formerly the Tarboro Golden Kiwanis, are a civic club, conducts monthly flag-raising ceremonies to honor fallen veterans, reads to the kindergartners and first graders quarterly at Northeast Carolina Prep, rings the Red Kettle Bell for the Salvation Army each Christmas season, and supports several programs in the community annually, including the Tarboro High School JROTC program, the Scholar Teachers program, and working with young men pursuing their Eagle Scout. We do a lot, but we don't do fundraisers, Purvis said. As with many civic clubs, membership numbers have declined steadily since COVID. Before COVID, we had 44 members, Purvis said, but now we have 24. While some have passed away, a number of members just didn't come back after COVID. The only strict restriction to join the club is that an applicant must be at least age 55. The group meets from 9.30 until 10.30 on Wednesday mornings. Dues are $30 per quarter or $100 per year. The club's mission statement reads, The Tarboro Edgecombe Golden Seniors is an organization made up of men and women dedicated to drawing on our life experiences to make our community a better place to live, work, and raise a family. Together we build, together we grow. Patients say Edgecombe County DSS transportation issues lead to poor care. Late or missed opportunities in spending hours on the bus. Those are the complaints of people who depend on Edgecombe County Department of Social Services to get around. By Heidi Kirk, WRAL Eastern North Carolina reporter, Rocky Mount. Tamika Brown attends dialysis in Rocky Mount three days a week. She, reply, she relies on the transportation services covered by Medicaid and provided by Edgecombe County Department of Social Services, which she says lately has been failing her. You have a lot of people that are getting there late. Some that are not getting picked up on time, and you have some who are not even getting picked up at all. And now, Debbie Haggerty will continue reading Edgecombe County News and Information. Thank you, Peter. We'll begin today with um, obituaries. Joyce Ann Williams Dunn, 78, passed away on Saturday, March the 9th. Her visitation will be at 2.30, from 2.30 to 3.30, this Saturday, March 23rd, at Carlisle Funeral Home, with service following at 3.30. Johnny Lee Davis passed away on Sunday, March the 10th. He was 60 years old and lived in Tarboro. 
arrangements are pending with Hemby Willoughby Mortuary. And now for some sports. In soccer, Southwest Edgecombe, 3, Tarboro, 0. Southwest Edgecombe girls' soccer team picked up a non-conference win at home over Tarboro on Monday. Emma League and Crystal Sanchez Amaya had goals for the Cougars. Sanchez Amaya and Ashley Vasquez added assists. Southwest Edgecombe finished with 25 shots on goal as League led the way with seven, while Sanchez Amaya added six and Vasquez four. Rihanna Petaway earned the win in goal for the Cougars as she made three saves on three shots. Noeva Miller allowed three goals for Tarboro, but made 12 saves in the loss. Way to go, girls. Did you watch any of the former River Bandits having stellar early seasons? By John H. Walker. I had a conversation with Tarboro River Bandits owner Wayne Turnage while listening to Mississippi State beat the Evansville Acres 13-3 to run their baseball record to 12-4. and This is the time of year when the mid-majors and smaller schools that supply many of the players who spend their summers in Tarboro are getting hammered as the big schools use them as tune-up type games before heading into their conference schedule, whether it be the ACC, the SEC, the Big Ten, or the Big Twelve. And while the big schools usually have the depth to wear the small guys down, they still have to deal with players they might have passed over and are now faced with the task of getting them out. There are several River Bandits alumni out there who are pounding Mr. Rawlings' horsehide with great success. Wayne and I thought this would be a good way to make people aware of the quality of players who do spend their summers in Tarboro. The guys are just average athletes, Wayne, who lives and breathes baseball, said. Just think about the memory a host family would have if their player wound up getting picked in the MLB draft and playing professionally. Think of the memories you would have, he said. Over the first four years, two bandits have heard their names called during the draft, Anthony Sherwin and James Moses. Sherwin, who played infield at Bucknell, was signed by the Astros. In limited action last year with the Florida Complex League Astros, he had nine hits, scored eight runs, and drove in five RBIs. Moses came to the Bandits out of Towson State and was exciting to watch on the bases. He played 20 games last summer for the league champion Utica, New York Unicorns of the United Shore Professional Baseball League. Moses started 18 of the 20 games he played. He had 12 hits. Throw in the seven times he walked and the two times he was hit by a pitch, he was on base 21 times. Let's look at the current season with recent players, all of whom are draft eligible this summer. Cam Hissort, Will Smith, Michael Dolberry, Leah McFadden, Jackson Cherry. There's another nine or so players we want to take a look at, so we'll wrap this up and give something to look forward to later in the week. Since you were, thanks for reading. A little news from the NFL. 
A Busy First Day of NFL Free Agency by Bob Motti. <coughs> Kirk Cousins is heading to the Falcons. Squawkon Barkley is joining the Eagles. Brian Burns is going to the Giants. The first day of the NFL's legal tampering period was a free-for-all frenzy with teams making one big move after another, highlighted by the Cousins' decision to leave Minnesota for Atlanta. The four-time Pro Bowl quarterback and the Falcons agreed on a $180 million four-year deal with $100 million guarantees and $50 million signing bonus, according to a person with knowledge of the terms who spoke to the Associated Press on condition of anonymity because the deal can't be signed until the new league year begins on Wednesday. That's today. Barkley bolted New York for NFC East rival Philadelphia. Hours after losing Barkley, the Giants made a splash on the defensive side. They're sending a 2024 second-round pick and a 2025 fifth-rounder to Carolina for Burns, who is getting a five-year contract. Barkley, a two-time Pro Bowl running back, joins an all-star offensive cast in Philly and replaces DeAndre Smith, who is heading to the Chicago Bears. It was a busy day for running backs, who have been undervalued by the NFL teams in recent years. Detroit is getting edge rusher Marcus Davenport and acquiring cornerback Carlton Davis from Tampa Bay in a trade. The Raiders are also bringing in quarterback Gardner Minshew in Indianapolis last season. This isn't exactly sports, but it's kind of a human interest story that um, I thought you might enjoy called Surprises in Store. Scientists plan to find out how animals react during a total solar eclipse. By Christina Larson. When a total solar eclipse transforms day into night, will tortoises start acting romantic? Will giraffes gallop? Will aches sing odd notes? Researchers will be standing by to observe how animals' routines at the Fort Worth Zoo in Texas are disrupted when skies dim on April the 8th. They previously detected other strange animal behaviors in 2017 at a South Carolina zoo that was in the path of total darkness. To our astonishment, most of the animals did surprising things, said Adam Hartstone Rose, an NC State University researcher who led the observations published in the journal Animals. While there are many individual sightings of critters behaving bizarrely during historic eclipses, only in recent years have scientists started to rigorously study the altered behaviors of wild, domestic, and zoo animals. Seven years ago, Galapagos tortoises at the Riverbank Zoo in Columbia, South Carolina, that generally do absolutely nothing all day, during the peak of the eclipse, they all started breeding, said Hartson Rose. The cause of behavior is still unclear. A mated pair of Simayangs, gibbons, that usually called to each other in the morning, sang unusual tunes during the afternoon eclipse. A few male giraffes began to gallop in apparent anxiety. The flamingos huddled around their juveniles.
Researchers say that many animals display behaviors connected with an early dusk. In April, Heartstone Roses teamed plans to study similar species in Texas to see if the behaviors they witnessed before in South Carolina point to larger patterns. Several other zoos along the path are also inviting visitors to help track animals. This year's full solar eclipse in North America crisscrosses a different route than in 2017 and occurs in a different season, giving researchers and citizen scientists opportunities to observe new habits. It's really high stakes. We have a really short period to observe them, and we can't repeat the experiment. The honeybees that Trusada studied decreased for foraging during the eclipse, as they usually would at night, except for those from the hungriest hives. During a solar eclipse, there's a conflict between their internal rhythms and external environment, adding that bees rely on polarized light from the sun to navigate. Nate Bigford, an animal researcher at Oregon Institute of Technology, said that solar eclipses actually mimic short, fast-moving storms when skies darken and many animals take shelter. After the 2017 eclipse, he analyzed data from tracking devices previously placed on wild species to study habitat use. Flying bald eagles change the speed and direction they're moving during an eclipse, he said. So do feral horses, probably taking cover, responding to the possibility of a storm out in the open plains. The last full solar eclipse to span coast to coast happened in late summer, in August. The upcoming eclipse in April gives researchers an opportunity to ask new questions, including about potential impacts on spring migration. Most songbird species migrate at night. When there are nightlight conditions during the eclipse, will birds think it's time to migrate and take flight, said Andrew Farnsworth of Cornell Cornell University. His team plans to test this by analyzing weather radar data, which also detects the presence of flying birds, bats, and insects, to see if more birds take wing during the eclipse. As for the indoor pets, they may react as much to what their owners are doing, whether they're excited or nonchalant about the eclipse, as to many changes in the sky, said University of Arkansas animal researcher Dogs and cats pay a lot of attention to us in addition to their internal clocks, she said. Well, that'll be interesting to see. Um, and one more little um, human interest story you might be interested in because spring break is happening right now and then coming up also. Uh, this is called The Party's Over. Miami Beach is breaking up with spring break, or at least trying to. Miami Beach, Florida, is trying to break up with spring break, but it's not yet clear whether spring break will take the hint. After three consecutive years of spring break violence, Miami Beach officials are implementing month-long security measures aimed at curbing the chaos, including parking restrictions for non-residents and closing sidewalk cafes on busy weekends. The city has warned visitors to expect curfews, bag searches at the beach, 
early beach closures, DUI checkpoints, and arrests for drug possession and violence. Governor Ron DeSantis announced Tuesday that 45 state law enforcement officers are being deployed to the city to bolster the police. So that will be interesting in Florida. Um, I guess our time is up today. Edgecombe County News and Information is broadcast daily, Monday through Friday, at 1 o'clock p.m. and at 8 o'clock p.m. The Spring Hope Enterprise and the Bailey Middlesex News is broadcast each Thursday at 1.30 p.m. and at 8.30 p.m. The National Graphic is broadcast each Friday at 1.30 p.m. and at 8.30 p.m. To listen live over the Internet or to download today's broadcast, please visit our website at downeastreading.org slash listen. If you have comments or suggestions, please call our studio at 252-443-7551. This has been Peter Sauerwine and Debbie Haggerty. We've enjoyed being with you today. Have a great day. Thank you.